to understand and reflect upon our own lives to make sure that we are doing the more important things and seeing the world as we really should. We pray that uh, we may put aside the trivial, the things which are bothering us, the distractions in our mind, to really listen to Jesus today. And we pray for all these things in Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I'm not sure about yourself, but uh, I often find myself focusing on uh, the minor things of life and ignoring the really major things in life. Uh, So, I was just thinking, you know, I spend a lot of my time, my energies, even my emotional uh, energies on things which are quite trivial, like, you know, uh, food, uh, TV, hobbies, whether my favorite sports team wins. And I find myself ignoring the things which are really important, like things like relationships or family or God. And I think that for many of us, uh, I guess, focusing on the minor and ignoring the major things uh, is something that we might just do time after time and it becomes a blind spot for us, but it doesn't really affect us all that much. I mean, the worst that can happen is maybe, you know, you fail your exam or you uh, don't do so well in your job or you become uh, socially embarrassed because, you know, you just spend all your time on the computer, right? But I think that actually when you look at the the passage today that we're looking at, the the theme of focusing on the minor and ignoring the major when it comes to Jesus or when it comes to the spiritual things of God actually has very, very severe and serious consequences. In fact, they're just consequences beyond this world because they are eternal consequences, forever and ever consequences. So today I think the challenge for us is as we look at each of these passages, I think the theme of every one of these is If you focus on the wrong things in life, there are really grave consequences. And Jesus says you need to focus on the major things and ignore and even neglect totally the minor things. So he begins in chapter 12, verse 1, which is where uh, we're looking at today, chapter 12, basically most of it. And he says, Meanwhile, a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another. And Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast or the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed and hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. (coughs) Sorry. What you whispered in the ear and the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. (coughs) Not sure what's happening there. Okay, but when he says that meanwhile, he doesn't say meanwhile... Uh, for, for nothing, it, it refers back to actually what was happening in the previous chapter. And what was happening in the previous chapter? Well, Jesus was having a meal. He was probably having lunch with the Pharisees and the experts in the law. And uh, as we read last week, or as you've done the Bible study last week, that didn't go very well. Right? Uh, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the experts in the law, those were the big shots, the heavy hitters of the day. But Jesus, instead of carrying their favor, he had insulted them and condemned them. And the first charge that he brought against the Pharisees was found in chapter 11, verse 39, which is exactly on this topic of hypocrisy. Then the Lord said to him, the Pharisee, in chapter 11, verse 39, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. And this is exactly what Jesus is warning his disciples here in chapter 12 as he begins, Meanwhile, so he just finished his lunch or whatever meal with uh, the Pharisees and experts in the law. He condemned the Pharisees about their hypocrisy. And he turns to his disciples and says, Do not be 
tainted or do not be, uh, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, the word here, hypocrisy, uh, is literally, in the ancient world, the idea of being an actor, pretending to be what you are not. And that's what an actor does, right? Because the actor, by putting on an accent or behaving in a way which is not the natural behavior of that person, he's putting on an act, right? So he's pretending to be something that he's not inside. And what the Pharisees were doing was they were on the outside, uh, rather than putting on a fake you know, American accent or something, they were pretending to be very pious and holy and godly, but yet inwardly, they were full of greed and wickedness. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, oh, be on your guard against this sort of behavior. Be on your guard against the, 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 the hypocrisy of the Pharisees that you do not imitate it or copy it. And he uses a very interesting phrase here, right? He says, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. Now, uh, I'm sure that many of you, especially if you do not cook, are not familiar with this concept of yeast. Uh, most of us, uh, we just eat rice most of the time. Uh, but in the ancient world, they used to eat bread and not rice. And they used to make their own bread. They didn't go to the NTUC fair price to pick it up. So how do you make bread? Well, from what I understand from my wife, you get uh, flour, and then you mix the flour with the yeast. And you work it into the dough, so that it becomes completely mixed in. Because if you do not have yeast with the flour, what you get is not bread, but you get pancake. You see, the bread is just flat. But when you mix it in, the bread actually, so the dough actually rises and it becomes bread. And so, you know, it has all that fluffiness and the texture and it rises and it's really nice. And that's exactly what the imagery is here. So Jesus says, do not be contaminated with the yeast. Because the yeast is like, it looks like talcum powder sort of thing, right? And you just mix it in. So a little bit mixes in with the whole dough. And what Jesus is saying is, do not be contaminated, do not let it spread into your behavior, this hypocritical behavior. So why is hypocrisy such a dangerous thing? Why is play-acting and pre- presenting a different front such a dangerous thing? Well, it says there because Jesus says that there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. And the whole of uh, chapter 12 really has, to, has in mind judgment day, heaven, hell, eternity. Right? So what Jesus is actually saying is on one day in the future, everything that you do will be made known. So why be a hypocrite? Why present a front when everything that you really are, who you truly are, will be revealed to the whole world? And Jesus says there in verse 3, uh, an example of just how extensive or how unqualified this statement is, how everything will be revealed. So he says, whatever you say in the dark, will be heard in the daylight. So, you know, if you speak in the dark, usually people can't hear what you're saying, people can't see what you're saying. But he goes on to say something even more extraordinary in verse 3, right? He says, What you whisper in the ear, in the inner rooms, will be proclaimed from the roofs. So think about it for a moment. The inner room was like the the most secret room of your house. Okay, because in those days, uh, the houses were quite open and there's only one like inner room. Uh, it's not, not like today, right, with many inner rooms. But, but think of the most secretive place in your house. And imagine going to that secret place and whispering. But not just whispering face to face, but whispering straight into someone's ear. That's a, 
the most secure secret you could ever have. That's the most, uh, I guess, the most secretive thing you could do. But Jesus says that the words that you spoke in that inner room, when you whispered quietly so that no, you know, bugging devices could pick it up, into that person's ear will be proclaimed just like I'm preaching from the pulpit today. What a scary thought, right? Imagine the, 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 the darkest secret that you have will one day be proclaimed from a microphone right at the very front of the church in front of everybody. Now that's a really scary thought. And that's what Jesus says on Judgment Day when Jesus comes again. Every thought will be revealed. Every secret that we have, everything that we try to hide will actually be proclaimed so that everybody will know. So then he says, what's the point of being a hypocrite then? Why do you want to try so hard to impress people on the outside where where everybody eventually will know what is on the inside? So the challenge of Jesus is why do we spend so much time trying to do the minor thing, which is to impress people on the outside? when actually what really counts is the inside. Because the Bible never says, right? The Bible never says, do this to impress God or do this to impress other people. The Bible always says, you are a saved, born-again person in Jesus Christ. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You've been risen from the dead. And therefore, because you are this person on the inside, behave like this on the outside. Now, I don't know about you, but I think it's a, it's a very scary thing when, uh, when you realize that every secret will be revealed in the future. We are unable to impress God and uh, we are really unable to impress uh, anybody on the last day because everybody will see us as we really are. So why do we put so much effort into trying to impress people on the outside when what we should really be working on is the more important thing which is to make sure that inside we are born again, we are renewed, we are sanctified and this is who we really are. The Christian life works from the inside out and not from the outside alone. And if Jesus says, do not be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, he's saying because in the previous chapter, the Pharisees were condemned by Jesus as being unmarked graves. They were unclean, they were dead, they were facing condemnation. So we become like the Pharisees and we pour all our effort into just doing the outside and trying to press people on the outside. We are not saved people. We are not people who end up in heaven. We, we are just hypocrites. What we really need to work on is the inside. Because on the last day, that's what really counts, the inside. That because we are born again, we are, we've got the Holy Spirit in us, so on the outside we live right before God. So here, the, the principle is very clear, isn't it? Don't focus on the minor thing, which is to clean up the outside so that it's very impressive to people. Jesus is saying that to follow Him and to, to really do the right thing is to focus on the major thing, focus on the inside. Focus on making sure that you live as the saved Christian that you are. Now, Jesus continues that theme in verse 4, right? In terms of minor and major. He says, I tell you, my friends, 
Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Now, again, this is linked back to the meanwhile, right? In the, right in the very first verse of chapter 12. Because in that lunch, probably it was most probably lunch that Jesus had with the Pharisees and uh, the experts in the law, he had called them hypocrites, he had called them zombies, right? They were dead people in unmarked graves, they were murderers, and they would absolutely, definitely not enter into the kingdom of God. And how did that conversation end uh, in that previous uh, chapter? Well, look at verse 53. Verse 53, just a page before. When Jesus went outside after eating, right, he left the house, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. Now this word here, oppose him fiercely, literally means that they had a burning desire to do Jesus in. They had a huge grudge against Jesus, which would not go away. Uh, now I actually had an earlier illustration here in my sermon, which I took out, but I, I think it's such a good illustration I should share with you. Right? Uh, I, I know that uh, people have uh, affairs, right? and one of the biggest and silliest things that I can think of is to actually have an affair with somebody who's actually married. Because I've actually spoken to people who have made that mistake. And one of the great fears that they have is to be beaten up by the spouse. And I think that's exactly what this word here, because they are opposed fiercely by that spouse who was cheated on. Every corner they turn around, every shopping center they walk into, every restaurant they, work, they, they walk into, they always worry, I'm not going to bump into the spouse that's going to beat me up. And this is exactly what is, uh, this word here, fiercely, really means. That the, the, the Pharisees and experts in the law truly had it in for Jesus. And as a result, the disciples would naturally feel fear. Because the Pharisees and experts in the law not only had a huge grudge against Jesus, but against his disciples. And they were extremely powerful. And they had a lot of power to harm and hurt the disciples of Jesus. And that's why, if you look at verse 4 to verse 11, it's all about fear, isn't it? Do not be afraid. Do not fear. It says there. But Jesus' answer to fear is not to take away the fear and say, well, don't worry, right? Don't be afraid because God will protect you. He doesn't say God will keep you safe. God will save you from the Pharisees and the experts in the law. But what he says is, fear something greater, right? To take away your fear is to see the fear that you have for this world as minor compared to a much greater fear, which is the fear of God. Because what is the fear of man? What can man do to you? He can only take away a few years, a few decades of your life, bring pain for a little while. But what is that fear compared to the fear of God who can cast you and your soul into hell for eternity? So Jesus is saying here again the, the minor to major argument. Don't focus on the minor and fear those who can only harm you for a few years and cut short your, year, your, your life for a few years or decades. Fear instead something much more serious, the major fear. The fear of God who can judge you and send you to hell. Which one should you fear more? 
Man or God? Obviously God. And that's why he goes on to say, therefore, in verse 8 onwards, right? do not disown me, you must acknowledge me. Because what is the choice again, minor to major, right? Is it better to, to be disowned by this world or to be disowned by Jesus? Which is the more major and the more minor thing? Which is better? Is it better to be acknowledged by this world or acknowledged by Jesus? And that's the whole point, isn't it? Of verse 4 to verse 11. In the face of fear, focus on the real fear. Focus on eternity, the fear that really counts. Now, I wonder about ourselves as we look at this passage. Uh, what do you fear more, honestly? Do you fear death or do you fear hell? I mean, I guess intellectually, the answer is very straightforward, right? But internally, emotionally, what do you really fear more? Do you fear death more or do you fear hell more? Do you fear the disapproval of men more or do you fear the disapproval of Jesus more? Do you fear being disowned by the world or do you fear being disowned by Jesus? Because that will determine how you live, isn't it? Uh, if you get in an airplane from Changi Airport and just fly, I don't know, one or two hours, any direction from Singapore, you can land up in a place where if you say you're a Christian, you'd face intense persecution, you might even face the threat of death. But how do these people... How do these people keep going on? Because they know what is the minor thing and they know what is the major thing. The question is, do we know what is the minor thing and do we know what is the major thing? So, have you disowned Jesus? Do you fear uh, men? Uh, is it because maybe people uh, give you the cold shoulder or they make life tough for you or they ridicule you? Well, isn't that minor compared to to, the, to, to getting the disapproval of God. Uh, you know, think of, think of everything in terms of eternity and who God is and who Jesus is. And then you'll see that whatever this world does to us, it is nothing compared to the major thing which is heaven and God and Jesus. Now again, Jesus goes on in verse 13 and he applies this principle to... Um, an incident which happens right in the crowd just then. So he says, don't be a hypocrite. Do not fear. And then verse 13, as Jesus is speaking about these really serious things, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now this is why... Sorry. This is why... Um, Context is so important, right? Because usually when we come to this uh, parable, we just read straight from it and we think, okay, why does Jesus re react this way to this man? I mean, all he's doing is asking Jesus to arbitrate or be the judge in terms of some inheritance case. But the context shows that this question is just so unexpected, right? So let me give you an illustration. So imagine if Lee Sien Lung is giving a presidential address uh, on national public television about, say, uh, population in Singapore or budget deficit or, you know, the next budget or whatever, right? And all of a sudden, you're in the crowd and you put up your hand and say, uh, excuse me, excuse me, Mr. Lee, Mr. Lee, and then, you know, finally, 
Dixon looks at you and says, yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry, do you have an important question about the population? He says, oh, actually, you know, my, uh, my, my tap in my toilet is leaking in my HDB flat. Do you think you can fix it for me? Right, so that's the sort of question that this man is asking, because Jesus is talking here about heaven and hell. He's speaking to disciples about, you know, fear God. And this man is asking, hey, you know, Jesus, uh, excuse me, excuse me, can you just come over here for a second and, and talk to my brother about dividing my inheritance? So this man here doesn't understand what Jesus is saying at all. You know, it's like whatever Jesus is saying is completely flying above his head and he's still thinking about his, his, his inheritance. He's in the crowd, but he's not listening. And that's why Jesus responds to him in such a harsh way, right? He doesn't say, you know, Martha, Martha. He says, dude, no, actually he doesn't say that, right? He says, man, right? Who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Right? No, why are you asking me? Why are you bothering me with this question at this point? And then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now, he then tells uh, a very, I think, seems like a very simple parable, but it's actually a very profound parable. And if you, the more I look at this parable, this is like the fifth time I preached on this parable, every time I look at it, there's actually so much depth in it. So he tells a very simple story of a, of a certain rich man. We don't know anything about this man except that he was very rich. And he seemed as if he was blessed by God. In the eyes of the Jews, he was blessed by God because his land, not only was he already rich, but he became richer, right? Because his land was so productive he didn't have enough space to keep all his produce. Can you imagine that? It's like, you're already rich, but you've got overwhelming, overabundance of blessings, so you don't know where to keep all your grain. So this man is faced with a dilemma. Okay? He's not a bad man, as we see from the beginning. He's not a drug dealer. He didn't steal for his money. He didn't cheat someone. He's just a very seemingly blessed man. So he has a dilemma about where to store all this food. Then he says in verse 18, and this is where I think we need to look at exactly the language which is used because what is said and how it's said actually tells us more about the man than actually any, uh, any editorial description. Right? Jesus doesn't say this about him. He just uses his own language to show us what this man is really like. So we must pay attention to what he says. And then verse 18 he says, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And then I will say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. Now, if you look at this uh, conversation that this man has in his mind, uh, what words keep jumping out from you? What, what words are repeated over and over again? They are the personal pronouns, right? Okay, if you're an English teacher, you know what I mean. It's it's all about I, me, myself. He keeps saying, I will do this and I'll do this for myself and I'll store in my grains and this is what I will do. So the whole conversation shows what this man is really like. He is a self-centered, self-directed, self-focused person. And that's what greed is about, isn't it? Uh, I mean... You acquire things, you acquire money, you acquire material possessions for 
me, myself, I. Right? I, I gain all this because I want to do something with that money. But the problem comes in verse 20, isn't it? And then God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you and then who will get what you prepared for yourself? Now, it's interesting because the word there, demanded, in verse 20, is actually the word where I, I lend you something and I ask for it back. Okay, so it's like God had lent him his life. God had, just like I lend you my bicycle and I ask for it back, or I lend you a book and I want it back. It shows that this man's life is not his to control or to own. But actually God had given him his life and now God had asked for his life back. And the key question comes at the end of verse 20, right? Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Now, when Jesus uses that parable and God asks that question, God isn't really expecting the man to say, well, I expect that my eldest son, Andrew, will get all my wealth. Uh, He's not expecting that uh, he will say, oh, it's my wife that will get all my wealth. The whole point of that that question is, who will get all your wealth that you prepared for yourself is, it is not that man. That is the whole point of the question. Who will get all this wealth? It will be someone else, but whoever that, that person is, it will not be this man. And what God is trying to say is, this man has, has lived a futile life. He's led a foolish life because he's lived and worked hard for this life and this life alone. And he can't bring all the possessions that he's gathered to life after death. He's prepared really well for this life, but he's not prepared for the life to come. Because he's focused on the minor over the major. See, that's why life consists of more than the abundance of one's possessions. Because life It's not just about this short material life, but there is more than this life. That's what God's perspective is. That's what Jesus' perspective is. Now, it's very interesting because if you come to verse 20, right, and you look at that word, it says, this very night your life will be demanded from you. And that word life there, um, unfortunately, in uh, in the English, we we, we just only have the word life, right? Okay? But uh, the word life, here, in, the, in verse 20, has more than the idea of just physical life. It is the word psyche, which uh, in, in the ancient world means one's very essence, one's soul, one's being. So what Jesus is actually saying, and what God is saying here, is that this very night, your, your soul, or your, not just this physical life, but your whole being, will be demanded from you. So what he's saying is, what is going to happen to this man when he lives just for the material life, but he actually hasn't taken into account his soul. It's, 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 it's such a foolish way of living because he's focused only on the material part of life, but he's forgotten his very essence, his very soul, his very being. Now, I wonder whether we can be like that. I wonder whether we think like this rich man. I wonder whether we think that life consists on the abundance of our possessions. Because 
Jesus says that we are focusing on the minor and not the major. Because this life, this material life, doesn't take into account the life to come and what happens to your soul. Now, it's so sad, isn't it? Because so many people spend their lives focusing on this life. So many people focus on having the abundance of possessions that they think that this life is all about the abundance of possessions. But what happens after they die? What happens to their very essence, their very soul, when God demands the very life that He gave them? Well then, it is all for nothing. And they have not prepared for the life to come. Like it says there in verse... um, Verse 21, they have not been rich towards God. They've only been self-focused. Right? All their money has been focused to self. I, 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 me, 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 myself, myself. But there's no, there is no interaction with God. There is no richness towards God. Well, Jesus says, that's a foolish way of living. Because you focus on the minor and not the major. Now, in verse 22 onwards, Jesus goes on to talk about the topic, and refer back to the parable. Because in verse 22, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, and the first thing he says is, Therefore I tell you. So verse 22, it's actually, onwards, it's actually linked back to the parable, right? It's not a new thing that Jesus is talking about. It's not a new idea. But it's actually one and the same part of the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples about greed, and about money, and about possessions. So in verse 22, Then Jesus says to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat and about your body, what you will wear. So the the idea of greed and thinking about this life is also linked with worry. Okay, worry. So he says, do not worry about your life. And when he says life here, he speaks specifically about what you will eat and about your body, what you will wear. And he tells uh, this very short uh, illustration from nature, and he says, "Look, you know, life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. So consider the ravens; they do not sow or reap, and they have no storeroom or barns. But yet, God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than the birds." And in verse twenty-seven, he says, "Look, consider how the wildflowers grow; they do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon." And all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? So both those elements, in terms of eating and clothes, God says, look, I look after the smallest and the most despised and the least valuable creatures. Will I not look after you, you who are my children? So the ravens apparently in the ancient world were like, like the, the wild birds of today. Like, I mean, who cares for them? Right? I mean, you run over, you know, you see them run over by cars. You know, you don't see the animal society crying about it. You know, like they just they're just sort of insignificant and nobody cares. And and it says that look, even the the grass or the fields, right? These are not orchids in the orchid garden. Okay, this is like the grass that we see out there in the lalang. You know, it's like we walk past it, no one gives a second thought. But God says, look, if He can clothe 
the grass of the fields and he can feed these birds which are so despised, then will he not all the more feed us and clothe us? So why worry about these things? But I think the more important point comes in verse 25, right? It says, Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Now what Jesus is actually saying here is that it's tied back to the parable of the rich fool, right? Remember that his life was demanded from him. So God said that very now, I'm going to ask for your life and your life will be given to me. And, and this is what verse 25 is saying. Look, since our lives are not our own, can we actually extend it by worrying? And the answer is no, we can't. Because it's not our life to control. If God said today that you are going to die, I don't know, 2.30 this afternoon, it doesn't matter what you do, isn't it? I mean, you can, you can run, you can hide, you can... Uh, there's nothing you can do. God will take your life. By worrying, it's not going to change anything. Because God is in control of it. And therefore, it is a waste of energy. Worry is a waste of energy. And instead, what should we do instead of worrying? Well, verse 29 says this, Therefore, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. So I want you to notice a very important thing here. Jesus is not trying to say to you, don't worry, be happy. Okay, Jesus is not a psychologist who's written a self-help book, except it's just a few paragraphs and he's trying to, trying to give you a life where you're free from worry. Right? He didn't say, don't worry, enjoy life, don't worry, meditate. But what he's saying is, don't worry because your energies can be better spent Seeking after the kingdom of God. That's why it says that. Look very carefully at what it says. Do not set your heart on what you eat and drink. Do not worry about it. See, because you get worked up, because you set your heart on these things, you worry about them. But Jesus is saying the more important thing you should worry about is to seek God's kingdom. Now, what an important thing to teach us, isn't it? What do you set your heart on? What gets you worked up? Because when you set your heart on something, and you get worked up about something, then you worry about it. Isn't it? You worry about your job, the promotion, your exams, uh, the result. But when you set your heart on it, when you get worked up over it, that's what you worry over. But Jesus says, the focus is wrong, isn't it? You're, you're, you're focusing on the minor, you've missed out on the major. Instead of worrying about all these things, getting worked up and setting your heart on these things, focus your heart instead on seeking God's kingdom. Focus on that instead. Set your heart on these things. That's what it says. Just look very carefully, right? Do not set your heart on what you eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things but your, and your father knows that you need them but seek his kingdom. Now what are your priorities in life? What do you really seek? 
What do you really run after? What do you get your heart worked up over? Because if you run after all these things, food, clothes, just material things, and, you, you, and you've neglected the kingdom of God, then you're running after the minor things, but you've missed out on the major thing. And in light of heaven and hell and eternal life, you know, that's a really foolish thing because you're no different from that rich young man, isn't it? the rich fool. And Jesus says in verse uh, 32 onwards, if you seek his kingdom, if you seek his kingdom in verse 31, then in verse 32, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, what Jesus is saying here is no different from chapter 11 verse 9. If you go back to chapter 11 verse 9, remember Jesus said in chapter 11 verse 9, Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be, the door will be opened. Ask and it will be given to you and you will get the Holy Spirit. And the same way Jesus says here, if you seek the kingdom, you will receive the kingdom. If your focus and your heart is set on God's kingdom, you will receive God's kingdom. Now, it's really sad because when you lose sight of eternity and hell and judgment, then you focus on the wrong thing. Instead of seeking God's kingdom, you seek this world instead. And what a terrible exchange that is. I recently um, heard of a, a, a distant relative of mine who bought, apparently bought a, a, a purse. Or actually, someone's distant relative's girlfriend who bought a purse for $15,000. I didn't even know you could buy a purse for so much. Apparently, it's called Belkin or something. I always thought it was IT product Belkin. Obviously, I don't know purses, right? <coughs> now, even though this purse can cost $15,000, it will wear out one day. But even more than that, what is the currency that this $15,000 purse will contain? It will contain worldly currency, and that currency has no credit in heaven. And what God is challenging us is, go for the things that really last. Go for the things which are truly significant and important. I mean, I, I know it's very... Um, uh, I mean, I, I can't imagine myself carrying a purse. But the imagery is there, isn't it? You should put your heart, set your heart, get over, you know, really be worked, over, worked up over heaven and where that destination is rather than here on this earth. So, what do you set your heart over? What do you get worked up over? Where, where is your treasure? Right, is it this life or the life to come? Now, in conclusion, I was reading the life section of the Straits Times the other day, and I was this tra- travel writer, and he said that nothing gets him out of bed more that, than knowing that he's going to travel and see the world. And I'm quoting what he said in this article. He said, there are so many places he hasn't seen before. So many mountains he hasn't climbed. So many seas that he hasn't kayaked. So many hills that he hasn't skied down. So many hot springs that he hasn't sat in. And so many dishes that he hasn't tried. 
So as I was reading the article, and I was preparing the sermon obviously, I felt really sad for him. Because he was getting worked up over the minor things in life. When this man dies one day, and we all die, right? then what will, what will be the meaning of all these places that he has seen or been to? All the hills that he has skied down, all the seas that he's kayaked, all the mountains that he's climbed, all the hot springs that he's sat in, and all the dishes that he's eaten. They will, they will come for nothing, isn't it? They will be meaningless. But instead, Jesus says, focus on what is really significant and major. Set your heart on that. Set your heart not on this world or things of this world, but set your heart on the reality of heaven and God instead. So Jesus' point is very clear, isn't it? Are you a hypocrite? Do you focus only on impressing other people on the outside? Because if you are, then in light of the reality of judgment, that's foolish behavior because God only counts about what's on the inside. Do not fear I do not fear the world. I do not fear the disapproval of people and the laughter of people because you follow Jesus. Why? Because in the end, fear hell more. Fear the disapproval more of Jesus more. Fear that God and Jesus will not acknowledge you on the last day. That should take away the fear of this world. Do not be greedy. Do not worry about the things of this life. Why? Because the heavenly treasures are so much more valuable. That there is more to life than just this physical life. There is your soul. There is your very being and essence which lives forever and ever. And where will that be? Can you take all the things that you, you've earned or made here with you when your soul goes to eternity? It cannot be. So I hope that this is a very good reminder to us. And I hope that it really makes you reflect are you focusing on the really minor, insignificant things of life from God's perspective? Or are you focusing on the major things which really count? Which really, really count in eternity? Because all of us will have to stand before God on that judgment day. All of us will either be in heaven and hell. All of us will either be acknowledged or not acknowledged by Jesus. So don't focus on the minor, focus on the major things in life. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, help us to see that life is more than just this life. That we are not just a body which dies and then disappears, but we are truly made up of a soul which exists for eternity. Help us to see that judgment day is coming. Help us to see that there is heaven and hell Help us to see that we are either part of your family and acknowledged by Jesus or we are outside your family. And in this way, to keep our thoughts and our heart clear as to what is really important in this life. That we should not focus on just impressing people. We should not focus on the fear of man. We should not focus on the accumulation of material goods or worrying about this life but instead we should live as who we really are. That we are people redeemed by Jesus, that we are born again into a new life. We are people who are destined for heaven. We are people who are part of your family. And teach us therefore not to be hypocrites. Teach us not to fear this world. 
Teach us not to be greedy and self-directed with our things. Teach us not to worry about things of this life, but instead spend our energy seeking your kingdom in all things. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.